man. Man. Those songs, I know, I know that's all this, this past kind of month, I guess, we've been, we've been looking at First Peter, at the very least, the life of Peter. But last week, we kind of got to dive into the salvation that we have all experienced if we believe in Jesus and we trust in His truth and in His work on the cross and how He raised us up out of death and into life. And so last week, we've spent some time looking at verses uh, 3 through 9 of First Peter chapter 1, and, and we talked about how salvation is the work of God. It's not, it's not based upon how good we are or how terrible we've been. Salvation is a work of God, and it's for His glory, and it's for our good. And the whole time we're, we're out here and we're singing these songs about how Jesus rose in victory and how He loves us and how He, how he uh, uh, saves us, Man, it just gets me excited thinking about, about how God is good and how our focus and our praise should all be centered on Him. And not ourselves and not the things that we do, not the things that we've messed up on, not our faults, not our, our victories, but on Him and His victory. The greatest victory of all time now becomes our own and I love how that last song we were singing, I think it was the last one in that, that first verse, it says that my history has been rewritten. Raise your hand this morning if you are glad that your history has been rewritten. Think about that just for a second. Rewritten. In God's eyes, you are as perfect as as His Son, Jesus Christ, who died to save you. And He placed His righteousness on you and removed all of your sin. As far as the east is from the west, a limitless distance. That's how much God loves us, and that's the effect of His, of his loving death for us. But notice, we've mentioned it every week, he did not stay dead. His power was too great. And he proved that he had power over death, life, and sin by rising again from the grave three days later. And that's huge because that resurrection power, it's not just that his, his death died or the death he died dealt with our sin. It's not, it's not just that when he died, he was the sacrifice and he paid the penalty that we should face. It's that He rose again in power and then He breathes that resurrection life into your situation, into your life. So that regardless of your station in this world or regardless of, 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 of your faults or the, of the, the wounds that you carry, you have life that is new and your history is rewritten and you have a future that is far greater than anything you could possibly imagine or create for yourself. A future where you get to live with God forever as He recreates this world. As He does away with the brokenness that we've caused. As He wipes away every tear from our eyes. Removes the stain and sting of cancer forever. He will recreate the world in that resurrection power. And if you and I believe in Him, we get to live there for eternity with God. 
And so this morning, I want to I bring your focus to that fact. That if, if Jesus Christ is alive, and He is, then that means our life should look different. Because your history is rewritten, because your sin is forgiven, and because He rose from the grave, your life should look different. So this morning, I want to talk to you about focus. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be there. You know, we'll be there for the foreseeable future now, so don't worry. All right? Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because this morning we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. It's a nice, small little section. But I want us to see a very revolutionary concept in those verses. And this morning we're going to talk about focus. Okay? And, and over this past week, it was, it was really, it was, it was great. Uh, number one, I got to, to go with these students, and they're amazing. But what I got to see was something greater than us just having fun or getting hyped, you know, singing the church clap or whatever. We got to go, we got to go into a, kind of a dark part of Millington, where, where as we went up to doors, you know, we could hear, you know, shouting sometimes. We could hear angry threats. Uh, people would open their doors and we would look in and we would just kind of see like the dirtiness that they, they kind of live in. Um, multiple older people kind of just there, kind of looked like they're just wasting away. And we got to pray for them. But the best part of all is that our students, I got to watch as these students brought their focus from everything else in their life and put it on Jesus and loving these kids and these people with the love of Christ. Maybe for the first time. That's focus. And so this morning, I want, I want us to, to talk about this. We've got, I've got a statement I want to put on the screen, and this is where we're going to be all morning. And that is your focus determines the way you live your life. I mean, picture it this way, okay? We've all seen Jurassic Park, right? I mean, that's a classic. You guys should see that, you know? You know and the original's better than Chris Pratt, all right? So check it out, you know? Uh, but in, in, in that movie, I can remember being a kid and being scared to death. Raise your hand if you've ever been scared to death of Jurassic Park just because you're a little kid. You know, just five people. Thank you, Taylor. If Taylor's afraid, you should all be afraid because he's the buffest. Listen, in, in, this, in, this movie, in this movie, it gets to this end, and all, of course, like, spoiler alert, all the dinosaurs escape. Okay, that's what happens. Uh, yeah. Sorry if I just ruined that. But that's what, that's what occurs. And, and towards the end of the movie, you know, they're, they're trying to, like, escape from the island. In order to do that, they have to, like, you know, work with some really terrible electric, electrician's work where one thing is on one half of the island and the other thing is on the other half of the island. But there's this dude who, whole, the whole movie, he's like this, 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 this awesome character. He's got the Australian Outback hat that's kind of folded up. You know what I'm talking about? His, his shirt is kind of, like, opened up in the center, you know, and he talks with, like, that... Really cool accent that I won't even try because I'm not that cool. But it gets to a moment. He's the velociraptor keeper, okay? And it gets to the moment at the end of the movie where, where he's trying to hunt down this one velociraptor to buy them time or whatever. And it gets to this point where he sees this raptor through the trees. And so he kind of gets down. You guys know the picture? And he removes his hat and sets it on the log, you know, and he brings out that, like, Spaz 12. I guess it's an effective hunting rifle. I'm not sure. You know, and he unfolds the stock, you know, and he's getting ready to do it. And, and his eyes never leave that raptor. OK, his focus is entirely on this one raptor in front of him. 
Go back, watch the movie. He never looks away. Which is really strange because he's like the expert on these things. And he even explains early in the movie that you should never focus, hyper-focus on one of them. But anyway, so as he's doing this, you know, right before the screen wipes, all of a sudden, boom, wrapped from the side, boom, he's gone, right? So that's what happens. Sprawl alert. He does die. But listen, for that briefest moment, what you, what you notice is that his focus is entirely on his target. And it determines the way he lived in those last few moments. And in his case, he was so hyper-focused on this one raptor that it ended his life. But I do want you to understand that, that our focus is powerful. And what you choose to focus on could be the determining factor between life and death. That's what we learned from the movie Jurassic Park. But this morning, I want you to see this because Peter is going to bring this out of verses 13 through 16. He's going to talk about this whole concept of focus. Because here's the, the, the reality. If we're not careful, we will focus on the wrong things and we will miss all of the best things. Your focus determines the way you live your life. Do we have any runners in here? Anybody ever run something like, you know, a jog, like a 5K? We got one, maybe some, 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 some half marathon people in here. Anybody ever run in like the St. Jude Marathon, anything like that? Super crazy? No. Okay. There are zero runners in here. I bet if you saw Velociraptor in real life, though, you would become a runner real fast. Right? Well, listen, listen. In case you can't tell, I am a runner. Before Ronan in this dad bod, of course, I was a runner. And I, I ran in multiple, you know, 10Ks and, 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 and things. And one day I decided, man, you know it would be really great to do on Thanksgiving? It would be really awesome to run 5K on Thanksgiving Day, you know? So in case you don't know, they've got one for like every major holiday, and you can turkey trot too on the day of Thanksgiving. Well, it was actually a couple of my friends who asked me to join them on this turkey trot. And uh, so I was like, okay. And so I Google it, you know, I find where you can register, and I go to this place in Memphis to register and everything, and, and it's all great. And so the morning of, I realized that there are two turkey trots, and I signed up for the wrong one, and they were on a different one. So I ran by myself, okay? But this turkey trot, this turkey trot was all throughout Shelby Farms, and so it's got like twisted trails going through the woods there, and lots of hills. It was a little bit harder than I was expecting. I actually thought it was harder than when I ran the 10K for the St. Jude thing. Uh, but anyway, so as, as I'm doing this thing, here's what happens. If you've ever been in a race or seen a race, once you get around the corner, no matter how far you've run, no matter how tired you are, when you spot the finish line, you book it. All right? You turn on the gas. And all of a sudden, all those people that you were kind of just jovial with running next to you, they become your enemy. <laughs> because you're going to beat them in that moment. And so here I am, surrounded by these people that I've been keeping pace with forever, and all of a sudden I see the finish line, and I'm like, not today. And I just start booking it, because my focus is entirely on this finish line, and I am going to get out of here. They promised me a cinnamon roll. So that's what I'm doing. (laughs) So your focus determines how you live your life. And if you're focused on the right things, like that finish line, once it comes in sight, you finish strong. It doesn't matter if your leg is hurting. It doesn't matter if your side is hurting. You don't want to be that guy walking across that line. And this morning, 
Peter is going to mention these things. Look in verse 13. I want you to see this. He says this. He says, therefore, and you can stop right there. He says, therefore. And whenever you see that word, that means it's there for a reason. You have to backtrack to figure out what in the world he's talking about. And so when you come to verse 13, he says, therefore, it's everything we talked about last week in verses 3 through 9 about the salvation that God has worked for you and for me. And in light of what Christ has done, in light of the love of God, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded and set your hope. Set your hope. Man. All right, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I just want you to make sure you kind of see where that's going. In light of this salvation God has given us, when we focus on a specific goal or finish line, we are able to exert all of our energy into that one task. And this is important because, listen, whenever you're totally focused on something, have you ever noticed it's right then that everyone wants to call you on your phone or text you or something's going down? It's why I hate notifications. I'm serious. Those little red bubbles are the bane of my existence. I'll be sitting down to have my quiet time, and all of a sudden, ding, 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 you know, whatever. And I'll look, and all of a sudden, 30 minutes have gone by, and I haven't even read one verse. See, distractions come in our life. And if we're not careful, we begin to focus on them. And these distractions, they hijack our focus and cause us to be ineffective with whatever we were attempting to do at the time. And these distractions can be stuff, you know, like wasting away your life trying to, trying to keep up, having the newest car, the newest iPhone. Good Lord. It's like a new iPhone is coming out every six months, you know. So if you're trying to stay on top of the technology train, I mean, you're going to have to shell out some cash. And so these, these distractions will hijack your focus from what matters and put it on things that don't. People can be distractions too. Whether they're unhealthy people that are trying to, trying to just bring you down and constantly, you know, bring you into their self-absorbed world. Or maybe it's even for a good reason, but it's taking you off base and all of a sudden you didn't accomplish what you wanted to that day because you spent so much time on the phone dealing with somebody else's problems. And that's good and we want to help people, but you cannot have two focuses. That's the point. You're always going to say no to someone or something. That was one of the best pieces of advice that I was ever given by a pastor. You will always say no to someone or something. See, I have this issue where, you know, I'm a people person. I come alive when I'm around people. You know, if I was an animal, I'd be an otter. They sleep holding hands, right? And so what can easily happen is if somebody starts talking to me, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter what I was doing. I'm now focused on that situation. And I had to receive this advice with conviction, this idea that you're always saying no to someone or something, because all of a sudden, when I was going to get home to see Melinda and my son, it's an hour and a half later. And I had to realize, man, sometimes I can be trying to do the best things or the right things, and I end up sacrificing things I never should, my family. And so I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Your focus will determine the way you live. And I want you to look at these verses here in in verse 13. We already talked about the therefore. We already talked about how this is in light 
of the salvation that, that Jesus has worked in us. And because God has saved you, Peter is going to tell us to focus on Jesus. But specifically, look in verse 13. He's going to call us to focus on the return of Jesus. Our future. Look at this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, completely, entirely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Focus on what really matters by focusing on Jesus. Here is the reality of our situation. This world is not our home. If you remember, several weeks back, we looked at who Peter was writing to. And he called them the elect exiles. These were Christian believers who were, who were scattered across what's now modern-day Turkey. There wasn't any real source uh, of organization. They were there maybe from persecution or, 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 or they were enslaved and so their masters took them there. All, whatever the reason for, for their dispersion and scattering all over that region, listen... They had one thing in common. They were all considered exiles because they understood the truth that this world is not our home and that Jesus is going to bring that home with Him when He comes. And that gave them a sense of hope because no matter what they were going through, they knew something better was coming, right? And so when when Peter's writing to them, he's trying to help them to make sure that regardless of the trials they're facing, they're focusing on the right things. They're not getting distracted by stuff or problems or people. They're focusing on Jesus because he's coming back. And that should change the way you live, right? If you knew that the end of this life wasn't your end, Don't you think that would affect how you lived it? And that's what he's after here. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully, not partially, on the hope of the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So what are the things that you're hoping in? If we were to ask that question, you were sitting down at the lunch table with your friend and you guys were talking about your hopes and dreams, what, what kinds of things would worm their way into that conversation? I really hope right now for Melinda and I, it's kind of been focused on finding a house and wishing we had a house somewhere out here where we could entertain people and settle in, you know. And that's great, but man, all that serves to do is show us our financial situation is not that great, you know. Houses cost a ton of money. And so, and so, if we're not careful, what's going to happen is, is where I've been over the last couple of weeks. I've been focused on, on our, our, our financial situation and trying to find a house. Uh, a couple, there's just this past week, rain hit and we had some leaks in the, the roof of our far building that we don't really use, but we would like to, you know. And so we had to get in there, a couple of guys and a, and a few of the ladies, we had to get in there and like rip out all the carpet and the drywall. And, and, and all of a sudden I found my focus was shifting from, from the future of our church and, and, and what God would have uh, us talking about here on Sunday mornings or in our home groups. And instead I was just so worried about our building and, and this kind of stuff and if I could find a house in my financial situation. And all of a sudden I was robbed of my effectiveness. 
And that was something I kind of had to be shown over this past week at Merge while these teenagers were, were, were loving these kids and serving Jesus. And I was like, all right, that's what I need to be doing. God's going to handle all this other stuff. These things are just distractions keeping me from, from pursuing Jesus and trusting in Him. Because this, even if we were to find a house, would not be our home. Our home is in heaven with Christ. One day we will live forever. And so Peter tells us, just like he told these Christians back in the day, to set our hope on Jesus and his return. And that's important. When he says set your hope, he means be totally fixated with this. Set all of your attention on Jesus. Not these trivial things that kind of come and go and seek to totally steal your focus. Focus on Jesus. I believe Jesus said it best in in Matthew. I believe it's in chapter 6 where he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. And that command came at the tail end of him saying, Don't worry about what clothing you're going to wear. Don't worry about the food that you're going to eat or where you're going to live. Seek first God's kingdom, and He will provide for you. Because He loves you. You're His children. No good daddy kicks a kid out on the street. And He doesn't plan to. Your focus will determine the way that you live. So what's the focus of your life? Is your hope set fully on Jesus? Because i got to admit, over the past couple months, I don't know if I've thought about Jesus coming back one time. I think I've been so consumed by my own situation or by, you know, meeting awesome new people, you know, that I don't really know if I've been focused on the right things. The reality is, though, Jesus could come at any time. And He's going to bring with Him our home. And what you focus on, what I focus on now, is going to determine the way that I live. I'm either focused on myself or on stuff or on Jesus. What are you focused on? What's the focus of your life? If you're focused on self and you're constantly being distracted by all the things that could either prop you up and make you look better or help you keep up with, with what other people are wearing or doing or comparing where you work and what you make to what somebody else makes. And then you're never happy because you're, you're trying to find joy and satisfaction in yourself. But you were created to glorify God, not you. And so it leaves a vacuum. And that distraction hijacks your focus. If it's your stuff, you might be focused on, on collecting more and more things or the next and the newest and the best and the brightest. And all of a sudden... You've got a house full of stuff and you don't know what to do with it. You're trying to move and you're like, what are we going to do? Everything's in boxes. You guys ever been, have you all ever moved and you just were like, man, I just wish I could throw away this whole room full of boxes right here, you know? I mean, that happens. It's only when you move, it's only when you move that you realize how much crud you just have collected over the years, right? Man. Once you have to move that really nice, solid piece of natural wood, you're like, I wish I would have just gone with the Ikea stuff, you know? (laughs) All of a sudden, that $50 yard sale thing is just not as cool as a $300 super light desk, you know? Whatever. 
But what's your focus on? Because see, in, in, right here, Peter, in, in this verse, he's telling us to focus on Jesus, and he's going to give you two ways to do that. So I skipped down and I focused on the command in the verse. The, the command from Peter is to set your hope fully on the grace of God that's going to come when Jesus returns and brings us home. But if you back up to the first two lines, you're given the two ways to set your focus on the right things. Look at it. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Our English translations don't do it justice. If we were to look at this, this verse in the Greek, you would notice that the command should come first. Therefore, set your hope on the grace that will be revealed to you at the coming of Jesus, right? By preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. And so these two things fuel your focus. And so the first thing is to detox your mind. This idea of being sober-minded. Listen, this is the one word in this passage that has literally beat me up all week and stolen my lunch money. Be sober-minded. Some translations will say, be self-controlled. And that's good, and it's adequate. But it's not best, because it loses the word picture. The comparison to drunkenness. Here's why Peter says, be sober-minded in order to set your hope and your focus on the right things. If we're not careful, we will easily become drunk on the things of the world. And they'll dull our senses, they'll hijack our focus, and cause us to be ineffective. And so, and so Peter calls us to detox our mind and to be sober-minded, clear-headed, and self-controlled. And I think that that's, that's huge because that's, that's important. But the question might be, how can we clear our minds? How can we do this? Many of you guys are familiar with, with Romans chapter 12, verse 1, right? I urge you, brothers, to, to offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. Don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must be transformed. We've got to detox our mind. And the only way that's going to happen is by us, by us focusing on Jesus and what he would command us to do rather than being distracted by all these little things. So here's the question I want you to ask this morning. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you. He's capable. It's his job to convict us of sin and righteousness, Jesus told us. What distractions have been hijacking your focus. Pray right now in your mind where you are and ask God to show you what distractions have been hijacking your focus. Taking it off of Jesus and the fact He's coming back and the fact that you were entrusted with a mission to spread the love of Christ in the message of truth that Jesus saves. We've been uh, at the Gafford Home Group. They've been studying uh, uh, Counterculture, which is a, a great book by David Platt. It's an excellent resource. And in it, David was, has been talking about, you know, looking at the poverty of the world 
and, and how that should cause us to live a little differently. And he mentioned this, and it was something I hadn't really thought about, but as he was going on his, on his train, getting faster and faster as he talks, I don't know if you've ever listened to David Platt, he does that. But he, he makes this statement, he says, maybe you need to sacrifice some things in order to free up enough money to give it away. He was talking about how we have been blessed with so much stuff and resources, but we were blessed with it so that we would use it, not hoard it. And I had never asked myself the question, man, what is something I could sacrifice so that I could give? Because if, if you're like me, you would be saying in response to what David Platt was saying about giving stuff away, you'd be like, I don't have enough money to give away. You know, we, we're living paycheck to paycheck. We don't, I mean, how could we possibly do that? What could you sacrifice? What's been a distraction in your life that's impeded your progress in the faith? And maybe, just maybe, part of you detoxing your mind would mean giving it up and getting rid of it or redeeming it and using it for someone else's good and not just hoarding a bunch of stuff. Stuff becomes a distraction. So we need to be, we need to detox our mind Be sober-minded, clear-headed. But the second thing is you have to ready your mind. Back up, you'll see it. Preparing your minds for action. In the Greek, it actually says, gird up your loins, which is a really weird phrase. I have no clue what that means. I'm joking. It really means like you're getting ready to race, and so these guys back in the day had these long ropes. They tuck it in, get ready so they could run lots, you know, real fast. You know, you ever seen like those those rom-coms and the, the chick has to run at the end in her wedding dress and she's all hiking it up like this, you know? That she's girding up her loins. But it, it's preparing your mind for action. If you wear chacos, it means you strap them down and get ready to go to work. Like I did on the dance floor at Merge this past week. <laughs> Happened. All right? <laughs> we'll delete it later, so it's not going to be there forever. Get it while you can, right? But listen, listen, listen. I, at Merge this past week, we played this game called the cup game where, they, where you got with partner and you put a cup in, in between you guys and, and, and you had to sit there ready. And as soon as the person on the microphone said cup, you were supposed to snatch it before the other person could. All right? And I was straight robbed multiple times. But I made it pretty far. And so they would call out all kinds of things like head, shoulders, knees, toes. You had to do whatever they said. You had to touch whatever they said. Sometimes they'd even be like, touch the other player's earlobes. And you'd be like, touch them like this, you know? But all those things were meant to be a distraction to cause you to not be ready for when they said cup and you had to snatch it. And so when it says prepare your minds for action, it literally means to tense up, ready for the fight. We got a couple people in here who do jujitsu and they could probably kill me and they're like half my age. But listen, listen, they know exactly what I'm talking about. You have to tense up and get ready for the fight. Get ready for what happens next. You've got to get ready for them to yell cop. And in our case, we need to prepare our minds for action because we see that one day Jesus is coming back, which means we have a limited window to be effective in this life. And so you and I, Peter is calling us to prepare our minds for action, to tense for the fight. By setting our hope on God. Alright? So we have to ready our minds, we have to detox, all of this in order to focus on the return of Jesus. But notice what happens next. 
It's the second command that Peter gives. Look down in verse 14 through 16. Here's what it says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you must be holy in all of your conduct, since it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so the second command is simply this. If we are focusing on the return of Jesus, then we should live like Jesus while we wait. Amen? If we're focusing on the return of Jesus, then we should live like Jesus while we wait. Because He who called you out of death and into life is holy. Therefore, you should be holy as well. And that word holy is very hard to describe. You know, people have all kinds of ways to do it, but we're just going to roll with this concept. God is not us, right? We are a creation. He is the creator. He is removed from us while at the same time He loves us and He is involved in our lives. But He's entirely different from us. And so God, in this word from Peter, calls you to be different from the world as well. Be holy just as I am holy. We need to live like Jesus while we wait. Here's the question. How did Jesus live? I want your responses. How did Jesus live? Think about it for a moment and call out some things to me. How did Jesus live? He prayed a ton. He'd get alone to pray and pray all night. He prayed a lot. Totally focused on others. That's right. If you guys remember, uh, back when he feeds the 5,000, it's because he had, just, he had just learned that John the Baptist had been killed, his cousin, like the one family member who believed in him. And so he was grieving, and he was trying to get alone by himself in order to grieve, and thousands flocked to him. But he ministered to them even while he was running on empty. All right? So, yeah. He focused on others more than himself. What else? How did Jesus live? Say it again. He did the will of the Father Father and not his own. Right? He did not allow himself to get distracted by the things or maybe the stuff he might want to do. You know, remember how Satan tempts him in the desert and he says, look, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Jesus didn't do that. He said, you're supposed to worship God and God alone. And because Jesus was willing to be obedient to the point of death to the will of the Father, when God raised him from the dead, he set him at his right hand and gave him a name higher than any other name. Satan will bow at his feet. Not the other way around. Just give me a couple more. How did Jesus live? Without sin? That's true. That's one thing we can't do, is it? It's one thing we can't do. He spoke the truth even when it was unpopular. There's a lot of stuff in this Bible that's unpopular today. And as we get older, and as my son gets older, and he gets into school and stuff, he's going to be faced with a lot of stuff that I'm going to teach him from the Word of God that's going to be totally unpopular for him. And my son, apart from me, while he's out living his life, is going to have to choose whether or not He decides to stay focused on Jesus' return or become distracted by what the world tells him to do, to say, to be, right? 
So it's important for us to look at how Jesus lived because we have been called to be holy just like he is. Live like Jesus while you wait. And if we're going to live like Jesus, we're going to have to think a little differently. Right? Jesus understood that he needed to pray to God daily, that he needed to pursue his relationship with God. Jesus understood that it was his job to focus on other people, not himself, to do the will of the Father. And he calls us to the same thing. But here's the problem. We don't like having to wake up a little early to meet with Jesus every morning before we start work. We don't, we don't like focusing on other people when we just finished a long day of work and we're ready to get home and just relax and decompress. We don't like having to, to, to deal with other people's problems. We don't like having to say no to something that we want just because the Bible tells us we shouldn't do it. Right? But we need to live like Jesus while we wait. Focusing on the return of Jesus. That's why he says this. Look look down, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's talking to the Gentile believers here and the way they lived before they met Christ. And what he's telling us is, look, stop being conformed by the world and what it tells you to focus on and what it tells you to, to, be, to, to, to be and to have and to do. And instead, live like Jesus while you wait for Him to bring your home with Him. Don't be conformed. Transform, renew your minds. This is important because the world is seeking to press us into its mold so that we look just like it. Think about it. That's why, that's why TV shows all across America, you, you know what happened? I mean, think about all of the hot button topics that are happening right now. As gender issues become a thing, as homosexual marriage has become, you know, uh, law, long before that ever started, long before that was ever approved, you had homosexual couples in TV shows. On Disney Channel now, you can literally watch as this teenager struggles through life, Lizzie McGuire style, wishing she was like a boy or him wishing like he was a girl and having to struggle with that. And I'm not going to cast judgment on Disney, but what I am going to say is, listen, the media knows exactly what they're doing. Melinda and I, we love the new Beauty and the Beast movie, so I'm not going to try to trash talk it in this moment because they had the first ever gay Disney character um, for like two seconds in one scene, you know, whatever. But I'm not going to try and, and, and trash talk that, but I want you to know what one of the producers said when he was questioned about why. Why be blatant about that? He said this. He said, well, if you put something before a kid long enough, they'll accept it. And kids are our future. And so regardless of where you stand on those issues, okay, regardless of where you stand, there are people in this world who know the power of media and they're using it for their own agenda. All right? And so TV and media, these things seek to conform us. Our friends can seek to conform us to act and be like them. But this is what God does. God calls you not to be conformed. He calls you to live differently. So here's the last question. I want you to ask God to reveal to you in what ways you are conforming. In what ways you have been conformed. And seek to allow God to do a work in you. Because your focus 
determines the way you live. If you're focused on the wrong things, you miss the velociraptor about to sideswipe you. But if you're focused on the right thing, you book it until the finish line and the race is over. Right? Your focus determines the way you live. So what are you focusing on? What distractions are hijacking your focus? And finally, what ways have you been conforming to the pattern of this world? This is why this passage has been beating me up all week. I realize I've been, I've been chasing after stuff for like, for years. And God had to bring to mind some hobbies that I've been, I've been pursuing that are unhealthy. They're not wrong, but they're distractions. And I was blowing money away in them. They were distractions. They weren't necessary. And so I had to do some soul searching myself. So I want you guys to do that this morning. I'm going to ask Jeff and Hannah to kind of come back up and, and lead us in, in, a, in a moment of response to give us some space for us to remember what Jesus has done for us in working salvation in us. All right? But I want you to seriously think about this. What things have you been focusing on? What distractions have you been pursuing that are hijacking your focus? We should never come to the Bible and read its words and not contemplate what God is trying to say to us. Okay?